The red eye is back, V. The red eye is back. Uh, no, we had uh, some technical difficulties yes, last week. Uh, kind of like a, a, a typical American airline, right? You never know when those challenges are going to come up. <laughs> we, we've, got a, we've got a much better record than they do, but we definitely apologize for uh, missing out last week and not, not getting an episode up. There were some, uh, some logistical challenges that that occurred that we couldn't we couldn't solve for so that being said i think we have a lot to talk about we had a couple weeks of football pass um i definitely definitely want to kick off with ohio state uh we had this game against western kentucky and i will say a better team than a lot of people think when they think western kentucky they had a more talented pass offense i believe um they were one of the leading pass offenses last year in the FBS. They came into the game ranked in the top three FBS passing offenses offenses this year. And um, the air game was decent. It was decent. I thought it was a really good test for our secondary compared to what we had seen the past couple weeks. A Youngstown State, obviously, kind of just, just a game. Not not. I don't know if there's really that much to take away from it. But really, from week one, we saw the offense was off to a sluggish start. We asked questions against Indiana's mostly running-oriented offense. You know, have we made the jump we wanted to make in the secondary? You know, we'll see this next week against Notre Dame, where we're really at. But I will say, holding these guys to 10, the way we did it, the way the defense showed up, the way we tackled, the energy off the ball, um, it was good, man. It felt really good. It felt like a good Ohio State win. Yeah, it's definitely what you expect in a matchup like this. Uh, obviously, Western Kentucky had a very interesting defense limited by personnel. Um, our our receivers were creating separation pretty much uh, consistently. There are multiple guys open on every route. It was good to see the emphasis in Travion Henderson play as well as he did, as well as the rest of the running game. I think we really do have a strong running game, and what I, I like to see um in this game was you start with the run and then start running play action something that i've been screaming at um screaming for 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 the last couple of years when you have this type of running game you start with the run pound 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 play action get it to your playmakers there was a little bit of that in this game i don't want to take too much from it it is western kentucky uh it was very clear that there was a huge talent differential on on both of those teams um, although Western Kentucky has a pr- pretty good offense, um, it seemed like the scheme was not able to overcome the talent differential uh, on the other side of the ball when you've got uh, undersized receivers and you're running a screen game um, with guys that are not as athletic. But like you said, the thing is that what that was a good takeaway from this is if you look at the landscape of college football right now, nobody is exerting dominance. Um, Georgia struggled against South Carolina, Alabama struggled again. Um, LSU was a little bit more dominant, but they've already got a loss. Florida state struggled against a, a, a Boston college team. 
that they probably shouldn't have struggled against. So there's a lot in flux at the top of, of college football this year where we don't really know uh, who's really good and who's really dominant and who's not. I mean, even Notre Dame had some challenges in that, in that, in that game they played. So for Ohio state to have a, a win um, as dominant as they had in a week where a lot of the other can supposed contender struggled was definitely a good thing to see as well. I agree with you. I agree with you. And on the offensive side of the ball, I also want to add that in the last couple of weeks, it really seemed that McCord was not able to get the ball in front of receivers. It always felt like the timing was just a little bit off. This is the first game. I mean, obviously credit to the separation, the receivers were able to generate, but I don't think that that's new this season. They've been generating separation in against any of the opponents they've played. Uh, but this was the first time I saw McCord getting the ball out fast enough to actually hit these guys on the open routes and going through his progressions quicker than we saw in the first couple of games. And also from a play calling perspective, we did see it open up. They were really, really successful with, um, yeah, I don't know what you would call it. It's like a screen with the quarterback rollout. I don't know what you call that play, uh, but it came in during the urban era. But they ran that like 10, 15 times in the second half to huge success with getting guys like Marvin Harrison out on the flat, Igbuka out on the flat, guys who have that speed and athleticism who can just need really one block to generate 10 to 20 yards. So um, I thought it was good. It was a better way to use the athletes we have than we had seen in the past couple of weeks, especially on the receiver side. Um, One thing that uh, I did want to call out is that um, I was listening to um, Zach's podcast and he was mentioning that on the on the coaching film that Ryan Day, uh, at least before this past weekend, had been calling every single play, despite kind of us thinking that it might be shared or different this year. We do have someone named as an offensive coordinator who they've been showing. I forgot his name. But really from an overall perspective, like, you know, how does that make you feel about the offense overall? Like definitely some changes, but also like, I think for me, I was a little surprised that we went backward in the play calling direction. Well, you bring up a, a point that I, I, you know, after week one, I noticed as well is it's like, you got to make a decision when you're an executive, you know, and, and you have to make decisions that are very clear, not, you know, haphazard or, I'm going to try it this way, but if it doesn't work, you have to empower the people around you. If you're going to empower them, if you don't want to empower them, then just say, I'm going to control play calling. And I think that is the overall issue with Ryan Day as a young, inexperienced head coach, right? He went from being an assistant his whole life to suddenly being tasked with coaching one of the the most prominent college football programs in America. And I think what we saw in this Western Kentucky game is what makes everybody like Ryan day, right? When his offense is working and when it's clicking, it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. The challenge always comes up when what he goes into a game planning or scripting doesn't work is when we see the challenges come up with Ryan day consistently. Can you, what makes a coach like Nick Saban, the greatest coach in college football, is you will see them struggle against a team in the first half, but then the adjustments will be made in the second half. This kind of stubbornness with play calling seems to be a reflection of his overall stubbornness with offense. When you're really, really good at something, it's sometimes hard to accept 
that someone else might be better than you at it or might be more suited for that role considering you have other responsibilities as the head coach that you need to address and, and, and make sure are not taken for granted. So that's what I don't like about it. Uh, and something I, I just, it's the same thing that urban did, which was have an offensive coordinator, but then undermine their authority and audible their play calling to JT Barrett run almost every play. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's, it's a challenge, you know, and the thing about that I've, I've learned is that you have to deal with what you have. Ohio State fans that are not on the, you know, Ryan Day bandwagon or believers in Ryan Day, he is who our coach is. He has been granted an extension. He is, he got a raise despite losing to Michigan twice in a row. So you have two choices. You can either continue to ride this guy or point out the areas where he can improve while also encouraging him when he does well. Western Kentucky was, was, was a feather in his cap of what we could possibly see when this offense is running at full speed and, Ryan, and it's working. But we also have to see in games that matter against Big Ten opponents, against competitors that are real like this weekend against Notre Dame, whether or not he's going to meet the coaching challenge of adjusting your philosophy when it's not working. That seems to be, in terms of what I see from him, the, 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 the biggest thing he needs to overcome is you can have the best laid plans, right? <laughs> Everybody has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. And what we've seen over time in big games, whenever he gets punched in the mouth and what he's doing doesn't work, he doesn't adjust. And that's my fear and continued fear. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great point. It's something we'll have to see how it plays out this season. Cause I think, uh, you know, too much of the same thing when it's not working is the definition of insanity. Right. So clearly like there should be a different way he handles the same circumstance this year. I think Notre Dame will prove a good challenge. Um, I'm excited for this game, man. And, you know, one of the big things that has me excited, well, two things on the defensive side that I just wanted to give props to Denzel Burke. He has stepped up. He has stepped up going into the game this past week. He was a third ranked corner in the country. He has an insane defensive rate this season. I believe he's only letting like some, uh, you know, like one of, I think there's only two passes caught on him all season prior to this week. And it was only one was for forward progress. And he is hitting the ball some like 20% of the time it's thrown in that direction. So his ball contact's really good. We had two picks this week. It's like the first time I've seen our defense get picks in a few years. You know, it's starting to feel like Ohio State again. It's starting to feel like that team, that identity that, you know, I've, I've grown to love. And having a defense that can get a pick six, that can change momentum, that can generate fumbles. And, you know, we made our own mistakes on the offensive side. But on the defensive side, this is good. This is, this is what I wanted to see. Yeah, I mean, with the, with the Denzel Burke situation in particular, anytime someone plays and starts as a true freshman at cornerback at Ohio State, you know that they must have special talent. He had a sophomore slump last year. I think he had some challenges adjusting to the NIL landscape um, and the new and the def- new scheme with uh yeah with um yeah homeboy yeah <laughs> no. and so at the 
I think sometimes it takes a year. That's why these guys get two, three years in a system. But I think it's it's refreshing to see because that is a position that you expect a first rounder to be manning every year at Ohio State. Um, and we've had significant challenges. Also want to give out a shout, a shout out to uh, our sixth year senior, uh, Josh Proctor, who in, in my time, um, really knowing the secondary and the secondary coaches and the, and, and the players within the secondary, he's been a player that all the players and all the coaches have been high on since he came into the program. It's just that he hadn't put it all together. He's had injury issues. He has had a lot of different issues, but you're finally starting to see the skill that you see in practice from this kid show up on film. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's very valuable. You know what I mean? And I think, I think that that, you know, definitely got to give a shout out and there is, you know, something to be said for continuing um, to try because he could have easily quit and said, I've been here five years. It hasn't worked out. I'm done. He wasn't promised a starting position. He's earned it. Um, and I think that's, that's something also to point out. Yeah. Great call out. And he's doing, he's doing really well with it too. And I think this is the testament of not having a star quarterback on your team. When all the media is not, you know, all over one person, when Ohio state social is not all over somebody or just a couple faces and they, there's more of a team energy, it changes the, the landscape. It changes the environment in the locker room. It changes the culture of the team because now everybody realizes they have to step up to win. Last year, I can guarantee you that's not what it felt like to be on the defensive side of the ball, to be in these role positions, to be in the line, O-line, D-line, linebacker, all these positions that really don't get the kind of glory but are critical for this game. Now we're seeing all of those role position players step up and reach a new level of their their skill set and you know part of that is being in the second year of a system getting better awareness of it not having to think so much when you're playing the other part of it is maturity but at the end of the day like this is what you want as an Ohio State fan you want to see maturation of everybody on the roster you want to see somebody on the defensive side of the ball feel just as empowered as the quarterback and I think it's a huge blessing that nobody's sitting here saying McCord's the greatest thing in the world. Everyone's like, yeah, he's fine. He's fine as an Ohio State quarterback. And I think that's the best kind of situation we can have this year, considering the enormous talent we have off the ball in the running game and, and in the air. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, uh, definitely, uh, looked much more prepared and ready and optimistic about this Notre Dame game after watching the Western Kentucky game than we've probably felt watching any of the first two games. Even the way that the Western Kentucky game started where it was like, okay, here we go again. You know? Yeah. Well, and this, and, is, this is like real like character they're demonstrating. Like I haven't seen an yeah. Ohio State team since before Stroud that had this feeling when I watched them. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a good feeling. That's what fans pay money for, is to see a team that puts forth effort and, <laughs> and, and cares. That's the reason that people pay these outrageous prices. It costs more to go to an Ohio State game than it costs to an NFL game. So it's a lot of pressure to put on some, some 18-year-old kids, but they definitely are performing. So, yeah. um, and, and, you know, that's, that's the reality of this situation, is like there is no room for error when you are the highest paid defensive assistant 
and one of the highest paid coaches. Like you have to embrace that pressure, right? And I think a lot of people uh, don't like embracing the pressure and the accountability that comes. It's like Ohio State and their their board and the people who make the decisions to extend Ryan Day and give him a raise when everybody is upset with how we've lost to Michigan the last two years, the level of accountability actually goes up, not down. So it's just like, that's what I'd encourage, you know, Ryan Day in this situation, because it's impossible when you're an Ohio State coach in Columbus, Ohio, not to read the headlines, not to hear the criticism, not to know what's being said about you. But you can do one of two things in this moment, right? Go out and whoop Notre Dame's ass and and completely outclass a, a former Ohio State uh, standout in Marcus Freeman and and put put the nation on notice, or go into this game with this ho hum attitude of we'll just see what can happen. And I think that attitude that we take into this Notre Dame game is going to dictate the attitude that we take into the Michigan game later later on. It's not a talent question. Ohio State will always have more talent than Michigan as a program. It's heart, desire, and discipline. And I think this Notre Dame game is is what this is about more than anything. What you said you were saying about the, the Western Kentucky game. Do you guys feel like you represent the Ohio State University and the history of this program and what it means to be one of the best programs in the country? Or are you not? You know, because your talent will get you by against Western Kentucky. Your talent will get you by against Indiana. Your talent isn't going to get you by this weekend. And you're going to be going up against a tough, motivated coach who made some unfortunate comments last year. Apologize for him has gotten better in his second year as a coach um, and is going to be a hard-fought, tough football game. So I would love to see Ohio State win by two or three touchdowns in this game and put the rest of the nation on notice. That's what I think. If Ryan Day does that, then this thing shifts from everyone waiting for his hot seat to get fired to everyone going into the season saying, Ohio State has a real chance to win this thing this year with looking at the rest of the landscape of college football. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that is the the test this week is can they convincingly beat Notre Dame? Because if they win by a field goal or if it looks sloppy or there's a lot of turnovers, people are going to walk away saying both teams are not good this season. But if we can walk away from this game with a win that looks convincing, and it doesn't have to be by a crazy amount. It just has to look good in the way that we get it done. It has to look like it's according to plan. It's going to be a slower tempo game, most likely just because that's how our matchups with Notre Dame tend to go. But this year, they have a very talented offense compared to what they had last year. Significantly matured. They solved their quarterback issue from last year. And it's going to be a real test. It's going to be a test on the defense. And for our offense, a new offense that really is just starting to build the chemistry, Notre Dame historically is a very defensive-minded program. They have a defensive-minded head coach. They're going to run into some schemes. They're going to run into some challenges that they didn't anticipate. This is a coach who really did a good job limiting the very overpowered CJ Stroud-led offense we had last season as well. They kept us at 21 that game. So anything can happen. It's going to be a tough game. And it's, it's not even a guarantee that we win this game, which is, I think, what's so special about this season, especially with Ohio State's schedule, is amongst Notre Dame, you've got Penn State, You've got Michigan, 
there's some real talent in our path that that we're going to have to take down to be able to even be at the Big Ten championship game, let alone the playoffs. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a lot to be taken from this Colorado football program, which we'll obviously talk, spend more time talking about today because they are the topic of not just college football, but sports probably, American sports in general right now. But taking every slight as motivation, you know, even creating slights. You know, Michael Jordan used to do this a lot, which was he would find the smallest things to motivate him, to make it seem like somebody was challenging him or, 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 or shitting on him. You know what I mean? And then you use that as fuel and as motivation. And, and Dion is doing this masterfully every single week, finding ways to motivate. I, I mean, obviously this coach, um, my personal thought on what happened this past week is this coach saw the opportunity to create attention for himself because there's no football coach in America, including himself, that takes their hat off when they're getting interviewed, right? The sunglasses thing, cool, but I think it was something he is like, oh, I want part of this Dion bandwagon too. I want to be on social media too. And I think he also probably felt when he watched the film that they were going to be competitive in this game. And so it was, uh, it was interesting to see the comments throughout the week, the prior week with Matt Rule, I don't think that Matt Rule ever said anything that clearly attacked Dion in any of his commentary. Uh, Dion and his son made that into a thing. And even the prayer pre- pregame, I don't think he was trying to intentionally disrespect Colorado. They, you, you create the fuel. And I'm using this to say that this is what Ohio State, I think, is missing is that, and I think that, that Ryan Day could be very, help himself greatly by making this an us against the world. Our fans don't like us. Our fans don't think we're very good. The, the rest of the nation thinks that the Big Ten is weak. They think that we can't beat Michigan. Like, that's what the fuel should be every single week is creating this seeds of doubt um, and, and challenge. That's what you have to do with people who are already great. And I think that's, if we do that, I think there's no team in this country that can beat us this year. Yeah. Yeah. I actually agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that is the best takeaway from the Colorado stuff. It's like, yeah, they might not be that good of a team, but they're good entertainment. And that's the real thing that fans want. They want good entertainment, which means you exceed your expectations. And the only way to do that is to level it up every year. You don't have to win a championship every year. Like, I don't think, I think last year is a bummer because as a championship, we probably should have won. But you look at kind of the history of the program, there's been many years we didn't win a championship. Fans were happy. And it has to do with the way you demonstrate your character on the field and whether they feel like it represents the place that they're from, which is, you know, a Midwest second tier city with a ton of rooted values that revolve mostly around hard work and earning everything everything that you have not being handed anything that's like a big midwest value and i think you know it's an opportunity for for these players to demonstrate that that's what they're made of too yeah 100 percent. and you know the best way to eliminate any disbelief is to have irrational belief right like you know we can transition you know well let's 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 first get a score score prediction and we can we can transition to some other college football stories here, but I, I wanted to 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 leave a note is on this t- 
topic while we were at it, which is the, the, the best way to, to build unwavering belief is to eliminate all seeds of disbelief, right? And if you look at that 98-yard drive that Shador Sanders had to save the game against Colorado State, if he did not have irrational belief, that would not have happened. And I think if Kyle McCord, that's the thing that I want to see from Kyle McCord is a level of moxie. You know, I feel like even in his interviews, it's like act as if you are the quarterback of Ohio State. You earned this job. You are a five-star prospect. You earned the right to be the quarterback at Ohio State despite an intense QB competition. Act as if. And I think that's something that's important that we see from him moving forward as well. Yeah, I agree. And you could tell he's growing to every game, which is amazing to see. Um, Jumping into the score prediction for this, I have it being a close game. I have it being close. I don't think either offense is going to catch fire. Um, I think we have it. Ohio State will win. I think it'll be 24 to 20. Yeah, I have us winning a winning a, a a close competitive game. I see it as as along the lines of like a a uh, twenty eight to twenty uh, score line. Um, I think that our defense um, will be able to uh, to uh, keep this Notre Dame offense in check. From what I've seen on the film in the first couple of games, uh, they are definitely better, but they are by no means a great offense yet. Um, but their defense is very tough and they're a very tough football team. So, uh, it will be a battle. Yeah. And, uh, and we have a couple more headlines to talk about. Um, we can talk about Colorado a little more. I also think it would be prudent to mention Alabama after their struggle against South Florida. Um, Alabama, I'll just jump into that one. It was like three to three at the half. It was a bad first half of the game for them. And he didn't, uh, Saban didn't play Milrow one snap. And I think this game, in a lot of ways, may have been Saban's response to the fans who were like, bench Milrow, play Buckner, play all these other guys to be like, yeah, everyone else is sorry. Like, this is, this is our guy. And I think, you know, kind of at the same time with Alabama, we're seeing an Alabama that is not what we're used to offensively. They're not a good offense this year. They're not able to put the pieces together and culturally, it just doesn't really seem like they are who they were either. And maybe that's a product of Georgia stealing all their recruits, <laughs> you know, like maybe there's other layers to it. Maybe it's just a, you know, a weird stretch, but um, it, it does start to feel like the Nick Saban era of dominance is over. Yeah, it may be, and it may be as simple as that they 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 missed they missed a season on a, a QB recruit, right? Like that's the challenge of college football today is that you can't really develop keep keep a stable of good quarterbacks because the moment that they know they're not the starter, they're going to transfer somewhere else, right? So I think I think it might be a response that Saban had, but it is the reality that that is a position that they're struggling at deeply this year. And they're replacing the best quarterback in college football from a year ago. Right. So it's, it's something that is, is a challenge and hopefully they get it together, but I'm seeing uh, them still be competitive defensively. You still see the studs on the rest of the field. It seems like this is a quarterback issue. 
And and that is the reality of of college football in this day and age. It is very challenging if you don't have a quarterback who can open up your offense and create momentum, no matter how good you are at every facet of the game, they are missing that. And I think, you know, it's too early to tell that if this is the end of the Saban era, I think that's a good conversation to have for media, but it's very unlikely that that's true, right? (laughs) This is Nick Saban we're talking about, you know, they're going to be competitive. Um, just like the Patriots were competitive against the Dolphins, despite having uh, 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 a, a huge talent gap clearly uh, between those two teams, good coaching will keep you competitive. Excellent talent combined with great coaching is what will make you a national champion. And that is what everyone is looking for. That's what we're looking for at Ohio State. That's what Colorado is looking for with Deion Sanders. Will the talent match the level of coaching? And I think right now Saban is dealing with the reality that the talent on his roster isn't equivalent to his talent as a coach. Yeah, well said, well said. Um, Another uh, story is in the SEC with Georgia, a team, again, replacing quarterback, not replacing the best quarterback in college football, uh, replacing probably the quarterback with the biggest heart last year in college football. Stetson Bennett, um, you're seeing that this is not this is not same Georgia that we saw a year ago. It, there's definitely a drop off against South Carolina. Uh, it was a 24-14 game. It was a hard fought game. Neither offense really looked great. And this is this is you know I think especially not a good showing for Georgia because South Carolina their offensive line is just it's garbage. It's it's just like nobody's standing there at all and. Their team this year is is barely what it was last year. It's experienced a big fall off in terms of talent. And ironically, kind of at the same time, Spencer Rattler has gone through like a major upgrade as a quarterback. He is he is just balling out down there. But he has no one to throw it to. And so when you look at a Georgia team, you know, with with such a close game against a South Carolina where they couldn't really get it going, couldn't really take advantage of all of the talent advantage and matchup advantage and, you know, even coaching advantage that they have um, as a program, I think it goes to your point you made earlier. And I, I've been hearing this a lot that there isn't really a clear standout team this year. There isn't really a favorite this year. I think Georgia, you know, by default is the team to beat because, you know, they're the defending national champs, but it's going to be, it's going to be a year where we have really no idea who's going to repeat till we get to the end of the season. Cause a lot of these teams are knocking each other off already. Yeah, and, I, and I'm 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 starting to see um, too that this might be a down year for the SEC as a conference. Tennessee lost to Florida this past weekend. There's nobody there that really stands out. Alabama has had its struggles, so this you know, and you're seeing the elevation of teams like Texas um, and and Florida State, you know, and. You know, there is a real challenge because the SEC has been getting beaten in their non-conference games uh, this year. And it goes back to that old myth of, you know, the SEC is the SEC still the best conference. Um, And maybe they aren't this year, you know. You know, there's still a lot of football to be played. And I'm sure one of these teams will definitely be in the college football playoff at the end of the season. I don't see how the SEC champ won't. 
But this year might be that year that an SEC team that we don't see Alabama or Georgia win the national championship, and we might see a surprise team that no one expected uh, to win. Uh, Obviously, the one that everyone wants to see is Colorado. The reality is I don't see enough on film to say that they're going to beat everybody on their schedule, um, especially with the the defensive line, uh, the defensive line and and offensive line play that you're seeing from them. But, you know, this, this might be the, the year that you see a big 12 champion, you know, which would make the big 12 very happy um, to kind of dispel the myth. Wouldn't that be ironic? The last year that Texas is in the big yeah. 12, they go on to win a national championship and have to go to the sec. That's, I mean, that's what I was going to bring up is um, Texas next, because they had a, a win over Bama last week that had a lot of people convinced that, okay, Texas is back. Bama then proceeded to struggle tremendously against South Florida. And then Texas, for the first half of the game against Wyoming, really struggled to score the ball. And if you, if you look down at the box score, it's not like Quinn had a super good game. They had a couple turnovers. They had two defensive touchdowns. So they found a way to win. Uh, they won, you know, with a decent, decent kind of scoreline. But um, I think it just goes to to add to the narrative um, that's going on that there are a lot of teams that can be really good on a particular day, and there's not one team that's been good every day. Yeah, outside of Colorado, <laughs> yeah. Colorado. I mean, definitely. Let's talk about that. Like, I mean, they're playing. They're playing above their talent, right? But I, I agree with your point. Um, and I think you know this is a larger conversation to be had. What is happening, right? Because the um, it's always a challenge in college athletics and college football. You know, after a big win against Alabama, you know, to have that letdown game where you're not as motivated when you see Wyoming on the schedule, the great coaches know how to get their players just as up for the Wyoming game as they do the Alabama game. And the question really becomes in college football now is with everything that's kind of going on, all this conference realignment, all the changes, the NIL stuff, is it becoming harder and harder to keep these players engaged and driven and disciplined? And maybe that's what's happening at Alabama right? Is that what, mo- what, what makes Nick Saban a great coach is the way that he motivates and develops his players to be great. Is there a changing landscape in college football with kind of all of these outside distractions um, that's forcing that landscape to change, you know, and I'm not, a, am and, and I want to make it clear, I'm a proponent of players getting paid um, for their name, image, and likeness. If they drive value, they should get paid. But there is the system by which that that's that happening. Is it an efficient system? And I would I would task and say the NCAA has created a system that isn't efficient and that is leading to more distractions than anything else within an IO. Yeah, I agree. And I think when you look at the case of like Tez Walker, who just got deemed ineligible by the NCAA, a kid who didn't play a snap at Kent State, transferred, sat out a season, and cannot play this season. Because he he transferred two days before their rule was changed, by the way, but they retroactively made it so that he's ineligible. To what purpose does the NCAA make these rulings? Is there somebody that would have been advantaged in a way had they ruled in favor of letting a kid play college football that, you know, that's going to come up? The NCAA 
overall has been an organization that's maintained power over CEO such a long period of time. And I think that's what I love about watching guys get paid. And like to the point on Colorado, I think what Dion understands is he's built an engine where guys are leaving with personal brands in addition to being, you know, mentored by somebody who has really been like, if you think about athletes over the last 40 years, Dion's one of the few guys who has crushed it with his name, image likeness, with building a persona, with understanding how the media yep. works. Like if you have any desire to go in that direction, you should be playing at Colorado, nowhere else. And you will get seen and drafted and, and find your way into the league or whatever. And you got a guy like Travis Hunter, like the best thing about Travis Hunter is the fact that he does streams after the games and he answers questions and he interacts with fans. Like he's about, engaging with his fan base and being a part of the culture and that's like the nature of i feel like colorado's culture overall it's it's going to be the future of all of college football i think a lot of players are probably sitting there at georgia at alabama at ohio state watching colorado right now and saying damn that looks like a lot of fun over there yeah and you know what's often lost in this whole colorado thing is that Name, image, and likeness is a byproduct of how you perform on the field. Dion doesn't just take players and say, I'm going to make you famous as an NIL player. He says that if you perform on the field and you are a dog or you're a leader or whatever else labels he puts on there (laughs) instead of captain now, these things will come to you. The opportunities will be there. But if that's your motivation, then don't come to Colorado. And I think that that's, that's something that's a powerful nuance here, too, yeah. that I don't think that a lot of the culture understands is that do the work and you will get the reward. Don't come here just because you think you're going to get the reward by virtue of being a five-star recruit. You know what I mean? And I th- think that was also the message that he sent uh, to the players at Colorado. You guys were 1-11 last year. You know, this is a privilege. This is a privilege, not a right. And how do you how do you then solve this problem? You know what I mean? And I think you are it's spot on. Look at Colorado and you say they've got it right because they found the perfect balance between keeping guys motivated, inspiring them to be great football players, but then also being able to capitalize off of what comes from being a great football player. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, looking forward this week, we have some pretty amazing games on the docket. So I just want to call out a few of these Colorado being one of them. Um, Speaking of Colorado, they play Oregon this week, their first ranked matchup. It's a tough game, man. There's an Oregon coming off a 55 point win um, 55 to 10 against Hawaii last week, I believe. Um, Oregon's a good team. They're dominant. They have a great offense. And Colorado, you know, ranked 19. I don't think anyone feels like they should be a top five or top 10 team right now. But can they beat a top 10 team in Oregon? I think that becomes, you know, a major question. What are your, um, what are your views on this matchup, V, going into it? And, you know, do you think Colorado has a meaningful shot? Or, or are you planning to see them, you know, get wiped a little bit? Um, I think that, sorry, I'm experiencing a little weird. I don't know if you're seeing it, but my video is delayed. So I'm a little delayed in hearing, uh, 
what you're saying, but I think that I think that this game is going to be very interesting because Oregon is a very similar team to Colorado in the sense that they don't necessarily have a strong defense. And what Colorado has is a very strong offense. So I think that this game is going to be a shootout. I think that the line being at 19 and a half is a little misleading. I don't know which way to think about that. Like on one hand, you're like, damn, is Colorado really that bad? Because these line makers don't get it that wrong, typically. But I'm looking at this from watching the games and saying that Colorado is uh, more than capable. This is a game, this game and the USC game are games in which Colorado can compete because they have the offensive explosiveness. Now, not having Travis Hunter is a huge challenge. Um, and I think on both sides of the ball to lose that explosive of a playmaker. But I, I can see this game being close and competitive just by virtue of how both teams are built. Travis Hunter is not the only athlete on Colorado. They are full of ridiculous athletes, especially as receivers. So I agree with you. I think they have an opportunity. I think this game is 100% going to come down to how well does the offensive line protect, protect Shador and how well does Shador play under pressure? Because the last few weeks, he has played horrible whenever there's there's been pressure on him from the line or from the defense. And so that specific thing, if he can improve upon, I think Colorado has a really, really good shot to make this a game. And if Oregon is able to dictate the game with their defense, obviously Colorado is not going to go anywhere because they don't really have a defense to speak of on the other side of the ball. Um, other games going on, we have obviously Ohio State and Notre Dame. We chatted about um, an interesting one is Alabama Ole Miss. Um, Ole Miss comes in ranked 15. Alabama's ranked 13 now after the lo- after the loss two weeks ago and and the you know very subpar win last week. Um, this is an interesting one because Ole Miss is coming off a win against Georgia Tech last week. It was a pretty convincing win. Uh, this is an opportunity for Alabama to reestablish their position. If we see Alabama lose to Ole Miss, it's going to be shocking, especially for Alabama fans. So that's one um, I think is really interesting. And uh, I also want to call out Oregon State and Washington State. Oregon State has been really interesting. And I believe that it's uh, DJ Uangalele, who's the quarterback there. He transferred over in this past offseason to Oregon State. And uh, surprise, surprise, it was actually Clemson. It wasn't DJ, which was the problem. Clearly, he's a very talented quarterback. And Oregon State has been putting together some convincing wins. So um, really, really interesting matchup with them. And one more to call out is Iowa, Penn State. Penn State started the season on a roll. Iowa doing their best to have these low scoring games, but you know, putting together some wins. This will be a good one. Iowa always has a a strong defense. Penn State also known to have a very strong defense. I don't see that one getting high scoring, but a lot of people have said Penn State is the team that can dethrone Ohio State or or Michigan from the top two spots in the Big Ten this uh, this season. So I'm curious to see if they show that against Iowa. Yeah, we're definitely going to see uh, see where what these teams are made of. It's Penn State every year looks pretty good until they have to play Michigan or Ohio State, right? <laughs> and so, 
can can Kirk Franklin finally get over the hump and and be a Big Ten champion is the question. Obviously, as Ohio State fans, we never want that to happen. Uh, but it seems like they may have a shot this year. They're playing well. Uh, they're they're playing good defense. Uh, it seems like they have a quarterback who's a playmaker. Finally, um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Like they beat an Illinois team this past weekend that you say, "Oh, it's Illinois," but they are a very tough team, um, and they were a tough team last year. So, uh, definitely curious about that. Same thing, you know, DJ Uya Ungale. Uh, is showing, uh, I'm glad he's getting a second chance, and that's why second chances matter. Um, and again, it reflects again on what's happening at Clemson. You know, um, why are they Why are they struggling developing quarterbacks? Um, and why are they struggling generally? And it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they struggle throughout the season, what happens with Dabo at the end of the season with that program, especially with Florida State, North Carolina rising, uh, in that conference and playing good football uh, as well, so we've got a we've got a, a interesting slate of games this weekend. This past weekend, you didn't really expect any upsets. That's why that Florida State Boston College game was so intriguing, and the Colorado Colorado State game was so intriguing. Um, I will not be surprised if Colorado knocks off Colorado State and changes the landscape of the top ten if they beat Oregon. I mean, if they beat Oregon, I said Colorado State, if they beat Oregon this weekend, I think Colorado is going to have to be put into the top 10 uh, of of the rankings. Yeah, which would be a very, very interesting development. So, you know, we'll see how all this plays out. Uh, we'll be back next week to recap all the action. And uh, as always, remember to stay moving. The U, U is fly. All right, boys out. <laughs>